Praise the Lord, Eastwind family. We are so excited about tonight's service. Uh, you will be hearing for the very first time evangelist Caleb Herring. Uh, last night I had the fortune of getting to speak to you. And tomorrow night we'll be hearing from our very own brother Tyler Ritchie. This is our e-revival focused on our students. And we are so looking forward to what the Holy Ghost is going to do tonight. Uh, thank you for joining. Like, comment, and share. And let's see what the Holy Ghost is going to do. Such a delight and a privilege of mine to be with you all tonight and break the bread of life and worship this great God that we serve. I give honor to your wonderful pastor, Brother Myers. Thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of what the Lord is doing in this season of East Wind Pentecostal Church. God bless you. Let's go to the word of the Lord, Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 10. I'll read just a quick passage of scripture. And then we'll get right into what God wants to speak to us here tonight. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 10. said, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? And that I should bring forth the children out of Egypt. I want to talk to you about the response of Moses when God called him to do something great for the people of God. He said, who am I? And I believe that is a question that everyone at some point in their lives has asked in any amount of time that they have lived for God. And if you haven't asked that question, there will be a day where you ask that question. And that is, who am I? God wants to help us understand that before we finish here tonight. God, we love you. And we are so thankful for the power and the authority of your word. We are so thankful for our identity As people of God and as children of God, we are thankful for who we are as the apostolic church. And I pray against every thought of insecurity, every lie of the enemy that says that there is not power in who we are as your people. I pray against guilt and shame and condemnation that wants to cause a flawed perspective of who we are when we examine ourselves And I lose a confidence and a boldness in the Holy Ghost into the life of every individual that will hear this word. That we could have an understanding of who we are and who you've called us to be in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It is my assignment in the Holy Ghost to preach a word of encouragement into the life of every believer under the sound of my voice. It is a word of encouragement to cast not away our confidence, which has great recompense of reward. And if you are anything like me, you understand that confidence is quite the animal to figure out. While insecurity may not be all the way present, we understand that insecurity is certainly not all the way absent from our lives. But Apostle Paul said to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And if we're not careful, we can make the mistake 
of thinking too highly of ourselves, but we can also make the mistake and overcorrect and think too low of ourselves. Paul said, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Of course, we realize that one generation shall praise thy works to another generation. And this is precisely what the previous generation has done with my generation. However, we must be sure not to compare ourselves among ourselves. Because the manifestation of God's power yesterday was not intended for today. Because God's glory is transcendent with every generation. Because we have a promise from God that the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former house. And I have been guilty of hearing the testimonies of yesterday's revival. And walking away with a feeling of insecurity that I would never be able to measure up to that level of anointing. And that level of power. And that level of gifting. Because I am fully aware that we are drinking from wells we didn't dig. We are partaking of vineyards we did not plant. And we are living in houses we did not build. And the entire reason that my generation can see so far in the kingdom of God and can see so far where our potential is concerned in the spirit realm is because my generation is standing on the shoulders of giants that went before us. And because we are instructed not to think too high or too low of ourselves, it is absolutely imperative to my generation to figure out how to think soberly where ourselves are concerned. So let's not feel insecure because we didn't pave the way for this end-time apostolic revival. And at the same time, let's not get a sense of pride and entitlement because our elders have set us up for the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost that the world has ever seen. Hear me when I say this today. We are the ones upon whom the ends of the world have come. And I am here with a reminder to this generation that we are part of the greatest group of people that the world has ever known. We are not some political group. We are not a social club. We are not some local hangout, but you and I, we are the bride of Christ. We are the church of the living God. We are a family of brothers and sisters that are stretching not only across this city and this state and nation and continent, 
but we are stretching across the world. We are made up of different languages and ethnic groups, cultures, races, genders, and demographics that make up this family of fanatic faith. Paul said, it is in Him we live, and in Him we move, and in Him we have our being, and He goes on to say that we are also His offspring. So while many variables cause the member of this body to be vastly different on the outside looking in, it is absolutely undeniable that by way of a supernatural birth, we all possess the same Heavenly Father who supplies us with His divine DNA. And as we possess His divine DNA, after we have experienced that supernatural birth, it is then that we begin to take on the image of that God that has filled us with the Holy Ghost. The reason that the miraculous was such a massive part of Christ's ministry was because His identity was established. There was no question in Jesus' mind as to who He was and what His purpose on the earth was. This prophet claimed to be king of the Jews. People called him king of the Jews and Pilate killed him as king of the Jews. Paul said, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. So when you and I gaze into the mirror, on the surface we may see our flawed flesh, but we are also beholding the glory of God Himself. However, there is a spirit of insecurity that is plaguing my generation. There for it is my mandate from heaven to oppose every spirit of insecurity that is rising against the people of God in this hour. I want you to know that our value is not determined by the affirmation of others who don't know our insecurities or what we've been through in life. Our value is determined by the God who created us. You and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are the apple of His eye. He created us in His image and God does all things well. Your creation was not a mistake and your calling in the kingdom of God was not a mistake either. And while the church is trying its best to maintain its identity in the image of God, there is a pressure on us to forget about the image of the God we were created in and conform to the image of the things of this world. And while we as individuals fight for our identity and we fight to discover who we are and why we are here, we have to deal with God pulling us in one direction and the world pulling us in another direction. Of course, we want to please God, but everything in today's culture is opposing the identity of Christianity. Christianity. And I have asked a, a question to God that we all want an answer to. And that question is, God, who am 
I? Moses asked God this same question when he said, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? But before Moses ever stumbled across a burning bush, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, I would rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But can I tell you, before Moses discovered who he was, he had to first decide within himself who he was not. He said, I may not know where I fit in yet. I may not know what office I'm going to occupy. I may not know what my future holds or what my destiny is that is set before me. And while I may not know who I am, I know one thing is certain, and that is I am not an Egyptian. And I share those same sentiments with Moses today because I am in this world, but I am not of this world. I feel like the writer of Hebrews when he said, I have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. I want to remind you that we are citizens of that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And before we ever discover who we are, we have first got to make a decision within ourselves that says this is who I am not. I am not an Egyptian. We don't walk like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't dress like the world. We don't have conversation like the world. We don't have the mindsets and the paradigms and the perspectives and the ideologies and the philosophies of this world. I am thankful today that we are different. That's who you and I are. And that's who we were called to be is different from everybody else in the world. And when we have decided who we are not, it is then that we can begin the process of discovering who we are. Moses said, I am not an Egyptian. And then God said, okay, because you've established who you are not, I'm going to let you know who you are. I am calling you to be the shepherd of my people. I am calling you to lead a nation into their promise. And Matthew said in chapter 2 and verse number 13, that when Jesus was born, that Herod sought the young child to destroy him. Can I tell you that Herod was not afraid of what Jesus was but Herod was afraid of what Jesus would become he was afraid of the destiny of Jesus he was afraid of the potential of Jesus he was not afraid of a crying infant he was afraid that Jesus was going to step into the revelation of who he was as the king of kings and the lord of lords so before Jesus ever opened a blinded eye before Jesus ever calmed the storm before Jesus ever raised the dead, before Jesus ever stopped the issue of blood before Jesus ever went to Calvary and before Jesus ever resurrected from the grave and descended into the heavens and descended on the day of Pentecost in the form of the Holy Ghost hell was making every effort it possibly could to end what heaven had begun can I tell you that 
hell does not want you to become what you were created to become. So before you ever accept the call to preach, before you ever win your first soul, before you ever start evangelizing, before you ever learn how to pray, before you ever learn how to fast, don't be surprised if hell begins to attack your life in every dimension of your existence. If that is the case for you today, you ought to begin to rejoice right now because that means hell sees something in you that could revolutionize the world and tear down every stronghold that the enemy has placed in the world. You have to understand that Pharaoh wanted to kill the males born of the Hebrews not because they were babies not because of their existence but he wanted to kill the males born of the Hebrews because of their potential to reach greatness he saw something in an entire generation that they could not yet see in themselves I want you to understand that you may not know who you are but I promise you hell knows exactly who you are Pharaoh did not mind those babies being born of the Hebrews he was afraid that those babies would grow up and become an army that would set the nation of Israel free from the bondage of Egypt so can I tell you that hell does not care if you've got the Holy Ghost and hell does not care if you've been baptized in Jesus name if you never do anything with the power that God has placed inside of you with the gift of the Holy Ghost and the covenants of water baptism. It's not enough just to have the Holy Ghost. It's not enough just to be baptized in Jesus' name. You've got to rise out of your complacency. You've got to rise above the opposition and the adversity and shake the gates of hell with the power that is inside of you. But I promise you this hell is afraid that one day you're going to learn how to pray. Hell is afraid one day you're going to accept the call to preach. Hell is afraid one day you're going to learn how to fast. You're going to learn how to plant a church. You're going to accept the call to be a pastor or a pastor's wife. I dare you to begin to do something for God and watch the devil get more nervous about your existence than he ever has in your entire your life you are a world changer that's who you are you weren't created just to be another body that occupies the pew because that doesn't frighten the devil but what does frighten the devil is if you make up in your mind I'm going to do something for God that's going to change the trajectory and the course of my entire life, my entire future, and my entire family. Who am I? That's the question that we're asking today. Who am I? Before David killed Goliath, he identified Goliath. And then he identified himself. Because defeat only comes when we identify our enemy, but we never identify ourselves. 
But when you identify yourself, hell will begin to view you the same way heaven already views you. When you make a statement into the spirit world as to who you are in Jesus Christ, your enemy will begin to look at you the same way your God looks at you. And that is a man and a woman of God that is chosen and anointed for such a time as this. And Goliath soon realized he might be a giant with a sword and a spear, but this little shepherd boy is a child of the one true God. And the first two times the Bible called Goliath a champion, that word champion means the man in between. And so Goliath was standing between David and his destiny. But when David finally killed Goliath, the Bible calls him a champion for the final time. But this time, it does not mean the man in between. It just means the man. So when David identified himself and then identified his enemy, David realized my enemy is not as big as I thought he was. And so can I build your faith today and say what is standing between you and your destiny is not as big as you think it is, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That dysfunctional family, that broken home, that insecurity, that flaw, that generational curse, that failure, that past, that struggle, that thorn in the flesh, that mistake, that you think is the very thing that is going to end you, I want you to understand it's not as big as what you think that it is. But there is so much destiny and so much potential and so much greatness in you that when that giant comes crashing down, you're going to understand who you are and you're going to understand what your purpose and what your destiny is and what's standing between you and your destiny is not as big as what you think it is. And so, David's potential... It was exposed in a valley. David jumped at the chance to kill a giant because that valley was not Goliath's valley. But 1 Samuel 17 and 1 said that the valley that David and Goliath were in belonged to Judah. So David was not in Goliath's valley, but Goliath was in David's valley. Can I tell you today that the reason some of us have had to walk through some valleys and walk through some pits is because without that valley, without that pit, without that low place, we would have never had the revelation of the potential that was on the inside of us. So David wasn't in Goliath's valley, but Goliath was in David's valley. The valley belonged to Judah. The valley belonged to praise. And somebody under the sound of my voice needs to say, I might be in a valley. But it's my valley. I might be in a low place, but it's my low place. I might be in a pit, but it's my pit. And in this valley, in this low place, is where I'm going to find out that I can pray like I've never prayed. I can preach like I've never preached. I can shake the gates of hell like I've never shaken the gates of hell. If you want to silence your giant... 
You've got to learn to let God pull that greatness out of you. In the middle of that valley, and some of you, you're in a valley of failure. You're in a valley of dysfunction. You're in a valley of the only apostolic in your home. And you feel like you're all by yourself. You're in a valley of depression. You're in a valley of sorrow. You're in a valley of insecurity and doubt and unbelief. You are in a valley, but you need to open your mouth right now and begin to speak into the spirit world and say, I might be in a valley, but it's my valley. And there is greatness inside of me that's going to be exposed while I'm in this valley. And so Goliath stepped into the valley and this is what Goliath said. For 40 days straight, he defied the armies of Israel. And he said, give me a man to fight. And Goliath said, when you give me a man, if we lose, we will serve you. But if you lose, you will serve us. But Goliath made a mistake when he let David hear him. He should have never let David hear him defy the God of Israel and defy the armies of Israel. And Goliath said, if we lose, we're going to serve you. But if you lose, uh, then you're going to serve us. Uh, David decided to silence Goliath uh, because he refused to serve Goliath. Can I tell this generation uh, that there are some giants that have been loud in your life generation uh, after generation after generation. It is a giant that has been mocking your destiny and a giant that has been mocking your future. And it is a giant that your grandfather did not kill. It is a giant that your father did not kill. And yet that giant is louder than it's ever been in your life. I want you to hear me loud and clear. If you do not silence that giant, there will come a day that you will serve that giant. Because you will always serve what you do not silence. Uh, David understood it wasn't just his giant, but it was the next generation's giant. Uh, I've come to preach into my generation and say you better silence that giant in your life right now. Uh, because if you don't silence that giant, there will come a day that your kids have got a servant. Uh, there will come a day that your grandkids got a servant. Uh, you better square your shoulders and plant your foot uh, in a prayer closet and send a message uh, to the gates of hell that says uh, my granddaddy might have fought it uh, my grandmother might have fought it uh, and my mom and dad may have not killed that giant but the addiction ends with me uh, the struggle ends with me uh, the failure ends with me uh, the complacency has got to end with you because if you do not silence it there will come a day where you begin to serve it you gotta kill that giant. You gotta identify who you are. And you've gotta identify the giant that's standing in front of you. And once you identify who you are, and you identify who that giant is, it's just a matter of time until you kill that generational curse, until you kill that generational failure, until you kill that very thing that you do not want to have to serve and you don't want your kids to have to serve. God told Jeremiah, he said, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. And I ordained you as a prophet unto the nations. And Jeremiah replied and said, I cannot speak for I am a child. So understand this with me. God was telling Jeremiah how God saw Jeremiah. 
But Jeremiah was telling God how Jeremiah saw Jeremiah. But can I tell you that who we are is not nearly important as whose we are. It didn't matter how flawed Jeremiah was. Because who Jeremiah was is not nearly important as whose Jeremiah was. Because when God is the owner of an object, the value of that object will automatically go up in price. Let's take tithing for example. 10% is less than 90%. But because God is the owner of that 10%, no matter how much smaller it may be than the 90%, that 10% has more value and potential than the 90%. Because even though to everybody else it may seem insignificant when God is the owner, its value is always greater than if God was not the owner. Look at the lost coin. The woman had nine good coins, but she lost one coin. And she swept the house and she lit a candle. And when she got that coin back in her hand, the value of that coin was restored because of who had it in its hand. And so there are some of you under the sound of my voice, you may feel like you're not good enough. You may feel like you're flawed. You may feel like you're imperfect. You may feel like you're not worthy to be used by God. You struggle with doubt and fear and insecurity about who you are. You compare yourself to everybody else and you feel like the level of anointing and the level of ministry that you desire is only available for everybody else except for you. But I want you to know if you can just get in God's hand, the value of your life will be far greater than what you ever thought and what you ever imagined that it could be. That lad's gift would have been insufficient at the feeding of 5,000 had he never given it to Jesus. And so wherever you are right now, I'm about to pray the prayer of faith. And I want you to think about whatever it is in your life that's insignificant. Whether it be your pedigree, whether it be your speech, whether it be your mind, whether it be your mouth, whether it be your education... Whatever the case is, whatever it is in your life that you don't feel is good enough, your past, your failures, your mistakes, I want you to begin to give it to God right now. And just as he did with that lad's lunch, he can bless it and he can break it and he can multiply it and use it to extremes that you never thought God could use you. You say, well, it's not much. It's insignificant. So is a little meal and so is a little oil. But when it was placed in God's hand, it was used to bless the prophet. You say it's not very much, but whenever you place it in God's hand, there is no telling what God can do with your life. Your little prayer closet, your little Bible study chart, your little bus route, your little campus ministry, your little worn out Bible on your bedside. It might not seem like much to you, but when you can place it in the hand of God, it is a force to be reckoned with that the enemy is terrified of. So you're asking the question, who am I? God said you're his. And as long as you're his, you can change the world. You can have unprecedented revival. 
You can preach the gospel. You can win the lost. You can reach your lost family. You can do anything when you understand who you are and whose you are. Wherever you are, lift your hands and let's begin to pray. God, by the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the word of God, I come against doubt. I come against insecurity. I come against depression. I come against fear and unbelief. I come against guilt and shame and condemnation. By the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the word of God. And I lose a confidence and a boldness in the Holy Ghost. In the life of every believer that is under the sound of my voice. Let them walk with a humility that causes them to be dependent on you. But from this day forward let them also walk with a boldness. That says even in the middle of my flaws. In the middle of my imperfections. In the middle of my insecurities. I belong to a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us and as long as we live in you and we move in you and we have our being in you you can use us to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover you can use us to cast out devils you can use us to preach the gospel to the whole world you can use us to do great things in the kingdom of God I lose that confidence and the boldness of the Holy Ghost in the life of every individual right now in the name of Jesus wherever you are find a place to pray and receive that God wants to give you an understanding of who you are and whose you are in Jesus name Praise the Lord, everyone. I want to thank you for joining us here at East Wind Pentecostal Church. And we want you to know that if you'd like to be baptized in Jesus' name, we can do that for you today. We can do it here at the church. We have a baptismal here at the church. We'll even come to your home if you have a swimming pool. We can baptize you in your swimming pool. It's that important for us to help you to be baptized in Jesus' name. We also want you to know that if you'd like to learn more about the Word of God, more about the Bible, that we have experienced teachers that can come to your home, teach you a home Bible study. We can even do a video chat. Whatever works for you, we want you to know that we're here for you. Also, very important, if you need prayer, we have prayer teams that can come to your house, pray for you at your home, or you can even send in your prayer request here to the church. We just want you to know that we're here for you and that we want to do anything that we can to help you in these trying times with your walk with the Lord. You can visit us at www.eastwind.church and our phone number is 321-723-2030. God bless.